welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. It's amazing testimonies like Callie's. And I don't know if you ever will truly understand the impact of sending a kid to camp has unless you've been there with them, unless you've seen it. And so I love it. Last service, I was asking Stephen, I said, where's Callie right now? She's actually over serving in the kids area. And it literally radically changed her life. And so we often, you know, we often say you don't give to a church, you give through a church, right? And so that is an opportunity through scholarships to send kids to camp. Some of you, you don't have children that are of that age anymore. They're grown. You have the resources to be able to do that. I will tell you this. 5, 10, 15, 20, 50, however much money, every dollar that goes into that scholarship camp fund will go to get a kid like Callie to go to summer camp. And it will ultimately change their lives forever. And so I encourage you, prayerfully consider how you can do that, how you can help put kids to camp. That'd be amazing. A um, couple things that I want to I just run through real fast. Uh, it's kind of like a little infomercial, so bear with me for a moment. But uh, Easter is coming. <laughs> Easter is coming. We're so excited. I want to be completely transparent and honest with you. Um, so we had Ash Wednesday this past Wednesday, and it was absolutely amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. We forgot about it. We forgot about it. And people are like, what do you mean you forgot about it? We were sitting in our meeting about three weeks ago, and Alexis, who's on our team, says, hey, are we going to do that, that Ash Wednesday service? And Tim and I look at each other and go, yeah. <laughs> when is that? She said, I think it's like a couple weeks from now. And we're like, oh my, yes, yes, we're going to do it. Let me tell you, on Wednesday night, we were standing room only. It was absolutely beautiful. It was amazing. People came, which is hard to get to on a Wednesday to come all the way back over here, especially if you don't live right here in Avalon. It is a nightmare coming down 50 at that time of day. And people were here. They were early. We had an amazing time. And it was just, it was a great kickoff to the season of Easter, to the Lent season. And so we had the opportunity to take communion together. We did ashes together on the foreheads and just seeing the marks of what people are really just asking God for during this season. And so we have, obviously you can see in the road to Easter, we have Palm Sunday, which is massive. We have Holy Week, which will be coming to you live every day of Holy Week. Um, so you can stop wherever you are uh, on YouTube, on Facebook, on our website, wherever you are at work, you can stop, you can pause, you can participate in Holy Week with us. And then on Good Friday, we're going to have two services. We're going to have a noon and a seven o'clock on Good Friday. And then Easter Sunday, we are going to be packing up what we do here. And we're going to be going two miles that way to East River High School. And so we're excited about that because we know what God is going to do and who who God is going to bring through uh, the doors of East River High School on Easter. So our goal is this. Our goal is that you will have the opportunity to bring a family with you on that Easter. And there's a few times throughout the year where you can invite somebody to come to church and they will say yes. And so we're going to not, it's, it, and I, I mean this, it's not some crazy special Easter service. We're just going to do what we always do. But we need a bigger place to do it on that day. And so we encourage you right now, you and your family, pray through who you can invite who can come with you to Easter, and uh, it's going to be absolutely amazing. Got a lot of cool stuff for kids planned as well, so uh, it's, it's going to be great, but Easter is coming. A couple weeks ago, 
I had the opportunity to speak to you about brothers, Cain and Abel. And so in a few moments, I get to unpack other brothers from the Bible. But last time that I spoke, I had the opportunity to talk to you about Tim and his brother, Tad. And uh, if y'all don't know this, but Pastor Tim has a little brother, Tad. Um, he, they're two years apart. I was jammed in the middle. It was Tim, Chad, and Tad. And Tad, that is his God-given name, which is hilarious to me. Um, but I, I don't know the story behind it. But, uh, but he, uh, he, was, um, he was just an instru- instrumental part of my growing up. And uh, he was like a little brother to me. And I'm excited because next Sunday, Pastor Tad will be here with us live. And so he has never spoke at Genesis before, but uh, we have invited him to come down. And so Tim's little brother, Tad, will be here next weekend in both of our services to continue the never-ending story, to share a little bit more about what, uh, what we're doing and how God is using the, literally just walking through the Bible. So make plans to attend. It's it's great. I asked Tim, um, I said, has Tad ever spoken at Genesis? I think in 13 years, Tad's only been to Genesis like three or four times. He has never spoken here before. And so next Sunday, we're excited. Tad's excited. So, uh, so he'll be with us. So you don't want to miss that. Would you pray with me this morning? And uh, let's ask God to, uh, to teach us and to show us some new things. Dear God, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have now to learn and to grow. God, we pray a blessing upon what's getting ready to take place right here. God, we thank you for being with us. We thank you for your presence being in this place. God, I pray that, that we, when we leave in a few moments, God, we'll leave different than when we walked in. God, that you will open our eyes, our minds, our hearts to what you have to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, the never-ending story, the never-ending story. It's something that we're so excited about because all year long, we're walking through the Bible together, story by story by story. And I think it's great because I get to, to share with you today another story, like I said a moment ago, about brothers, two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. Some of you, you've never heard about Jacob and Esau. Some of you, when I say the name Jacob, it rings a bell. You're like, oh yeah, I knew that. I knew J- I know Jacob. But when I say Esau, you have no idea who Esau is. And so I get the opportunity today to talk to you for a moment about Jacob and Esau, two brothers that had issues. It's kind of like the theme, right? Cain and Abel, they had issues. Jacob and Esau, they have issues. And so I think it's amazing because what we do is we get to learn one aspect of this amazing story. And I'll tell you, to be completely honest with you, one of the hardest things that I've had to do over the past couple weeks, over the past couple days, is narrow down what I'm going to share with you today about Jacob and Esau. Because there are literally story after story after story that I could take with these two brothers. And so today, I just want to be honest, I'm choosing one. I'm choosing the one that God told me. I'm just going to share with you some things that God literally spoke to me specifically and what he learned, what I learned more about in this story. One of the things we've told our team this year is we walk through the Bible and we teach the Bible. Read the story. Read its entirety. And whatever God speaks to you, that's what we want you to share. That's the part of it because there's so much goodness in each story. And so I'm not going to go into all the different things that I could today, but I'm going to choose a path that I believe will hopefully impact you the way that it has impacted me over the past few days. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25 verses 19 through 34. 
It says this, it says, this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Now we, we learned about Abraham and Isaac last week. We learned that Abraham was going to kill Isaac, right? We learned that Isaac was, was a sacrifice. And, and I encourage you, if you've not listened to the last couple weeks, go through because it all winds together. And so as we dive in today, we start with Abraham and with Isaac because Abraham became the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian from Paddan Aram and sister of Laban, the Aramean, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. I think it's interesting there, and we can't dive too much into this, but, but Isaac went before God and he prayed for Rebekah because Rebekah couldn't have children. And as Isaac went before God and he prayed for, for his wife to be able to have a child, I know that Isaac went with faith because Isaac was born from a woman who what? was childless. Abraham had to do the exact same thing that Isaac had to do. Abraham had to go before God and beg for a child for his wife. And so here, many years later, you have Isaac going before God on behalf of his wife, Rebecca, who was childless. I love the end here. It says, the Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? I've never been pregnant. Um, comes as a shock to some of you. Um, I've, I've never been pregnant. I've never had a child. I'm a father. My wife has been pregnant twice. We have two children, a six-year-old and a 16-month-old. I'm willing to give either one of them to you. Just let me know when and where and where to deliver. Um, and I can make an arrangement. But, uh, but I, I, I'll just be completely... I just just kind of get in my mind for a moment. So like, like when Michelle was pregnant with JJ, my, my, my son first, um, and her belly began to grow, I, I, I was not one of those dads that was like, you know, holding the belly and like speaking to the belly and like singing to the belly. And I, I, I wasn't what we call a, a belly dad. You know what I mean? I remember we'd be sitting on the couch and uh, she would say, would you like to feel my belly? And I would say, would you like to feel my belly? <laughs> like, no, I'm good. I don't need to reach over and feel your belly. And then she would say, she would say, look, 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 look. And I'd be like, did you see it? I'm like, yeah, I see your belly. No, did you see him move? And I'd be like, no, I don't think so. She'd be like, oh, we did it again. I'm like, great. Can we watch TV now? I'll never forget one time, though, I was giving her a hug, and I felt it. Yo, I ain't drop. I literally, I was like, what was that? He's kicking me. I'm like, why? I don't know. I, I, has anybody ever had twins? Johnny's wife, Jennifer, down here, she's a, they have twins. Twin, right? Um, I can't imagine twins. My, my son, he has some, some second cousins that are twins, and they're a week older than he was. And so, you know, growing up, you always want twins. You always do. I mean, we did. I was, I was like, dude, give me two, knock it out, boom, boom. Super simple, right? <laughs> Said no twin person mom ever. 
right? And so I've, I've literally watched these twins grow up. And when we just had one with JJ, and then I would see the two, I'm thinking, good God, I don't want any part of that. I don't know what it's like to have babies in my belly. All I know is that what Rebecca is going through must have been so freaky, so weird, so painful that she literally went to God to say, what is happening? What is going on in there? Like what is, I mean, it's like they're, they're fighting, they're jostling. And I can't imagine what that felt like, but it was so bad. She literally went before God and said, why is this happening? And then the Lord said to this, and this is crazy to me. The Lord said, two nations are within you. If she won't freaked out before, she's definitely freaked out now. Nations, not babies, not boys, not girls, nations are inside your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. I bet she was thinking, can you separate them now? Can we, can we work it out? One, ba- one people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. Now look at this next part. It says the first came out red, and his whole body was hairy. So they named him Esau, which basically means red and hairy. (laughs) Verse 26 says, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. Now, again, I am not a doctor, but that ain't normal. That's painful. I mean, I know a lot of things that I know that that arm is not supposed to come out first holding on to the heel of the other baby. And so as she gives birth to a red, hairy baby, she begins to pull, she begins to, and here comes the arm of the next one. He was grasping his heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Verse 28 says, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. Isaac, the father, loved it. He was the, the, the boy was the man's man. The boy was always out and hunting and bringing in good food to eat. It says, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, I'm not even going to touch this here, but there's a whole message here, a whole message on what favoritism does and how literally these two boys from the beginning, from the beginning had strife in their home because of favoritism. But it says this in verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Verse 31 says, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. I'm like, when I'm reading this, I'm like, bro, you missed the meal. 
But we've all been there, right? <laughs> we've all been there. I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me if I'm dead? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some of the bread and some of the lentil soup. He ate and he drank, and then he got up and he left. So Esau despised his birthright. Despised there means he turned his back on it. He gave up on it. He didn't want it. He renounced it. All for some bean stew. Now, it's crazy to me because when you read that, if you're not careful, that's the whole story. It's about boys and a birthright. It's about Isaac, who is his father's favorite, manly man. Ooh, here we go. And then it's about Jacob, who, let's just be honest, he was a mama's boy. He was just a mama's boy. He wanted to be around the house. But when you look at the two, where the story gets crazy is actually in, in verse 23. Because it said, the Lord said to her, two nations in your womb, they're going to be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. That's all great. That's all fine. That's all normal. But then all of a sudden, something happens that disrupts the norm. And when God says this, he says, and the older will serve the younger. So here at this moment, Rebecca realizes something, that although there are two nations, they are fighting they will be separated, but instead of the older being the one that's in charge and the younger serving the older, what God has done is God says, no, I'm going to change the order. And God tells Rebecca from the very beginning that the birthright was always supposed to go to the firstborn, but God said, no, I've got something else in mind. I'm going to change the order. And so when we look at this story, there's so many different avenues about it, but when we look at the story, we see two boys that from the beginning, they were upside down. From the beginning, God said, no, what's going to happen is the older is going to eventually serve the younger. And so you can imagine as these kids were growing up, Rebecca, her favorite was Jacob. You can guarantee she told him that. Guaranteed. Just hang on, buddy. Just hang on. God told me when you were in my belly, when you were in my belly, God told me that Esau, he was going to serve you one day. And so you can imagine in Jacob, as he was growing up, he heard this. And so he thought, well, when is that day going to come? When is that day going to come? When am I going to get what's mine? When am I going to get the promise? When am I going to get the blessing? So God had changed the order. And so he said, you know what? Here's my opportunity. That's what Jacob was doing. He was looking for an opportunity. He wasn't waiting on God. He was looking for an opportunity to put things in the right order, God's order. I know what God promises, so I'm gonna go get it. And so he wanted that birthright. Why was the birthright so important? Some of us, we've heard this story maybe before and we just think, oh, the birthright, it's just the birthright. Well, let me explain to you for a moment just exactly what the birthright meant. First and foremost, the birthright was the leadership and worship and spiritual head of the family. So when we talk about despising the birthright, what Esau is actually giving up, Esau is giving up leadership, he's giving up spiritual leadership, he's giving up being in charge of the family. When Isaac is gone, 
the birthright goes to the firstborn. And therefore, Esau was in a position of power. He was in a position of power, of leadership for the entire family. And the position that was there came with responsibilities, and the main was to, was to lead spiritually. And so what Esau walked away from is he walked away from a position of power, a position of influence, where he had to lead spiritually. He said, no, I don't want no part of that. That was only one piece, though. The birthright was also a double portion of the inheritance. Now, many of us understand what that means. You see, during this time, when, when, when the father would die, however many siblings were there, everything would be split equally among all the siblings. So every sibling would get something. But what would happen was the firstborn, he would get whatever everybody else got, he'd get it twice. So he got a double portion. So what Esau despised was he despised the position of power. He despised the spiritual leadership. He despised it. He walked away from it. He didn't want it. But he was also walking away from the double portion. He said, no, I don't need that. I don't want that. I'm not concerned about it. I'll figure out that later. Right now, all I care about is some bean stew. Not even meat. Bean. It's a whole other message. The third thing that the birthright meant was this. The birthright was the title to the covenant blessings that God had promised to Abraham. Meaning everything that God had promised to Abraham was Esau's. Now what did God promise to Abraham? God promised this. He said to Abraham, I will bless you. He said, I will multiply you. He says, I will make your name great. He says, I will increase thy seed. I will be with thee. And then listen to this. He says, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. Amen. Esau said, no thanks, I'm good. Pass the bean stew. The dude missed one meal. And he was willing to give up the blessings and the promises of God that had been readied for him through his grandfather, Abraham. He was so short-sighted. He was so consumed about what I want right now. He was chasing what he wanted right now. I'll figure out that later. I just want what I want, and I want it right now. Now, when, when you see these three things, you see the, the position of power and leadership in the family. When you see the, the double portion of the inheritance, when you see the promises that God was giving to him through his grandfather Abraham, we have to understand that there is a definite benefit in the birthright. There's a benefit to have this. Which confuses me that Esau was so willing to give it away. I mean, it was just, it's, it's, it's like when you compare the two brothers, when you compare the two brothers, you have Jacob who understood and knew the importance of having the birthright to the point where he was willing to do whatever it took to get it. He knew that importance. He knew what the blessings and the promises of his grandfather were that God had given to Abraham. And he said, I want those. I want them, I want them, I want them. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get them. And then you have Esau, 
who when Esau sold his birthright, it simply revealed how little he viewed and how little he valued God's blessings and promises. And it's so wild when you step back and you look at the difference between these two brothers. And you just imagine, how can someone like Esau make such a stupid choice? But what I've learned is that our choices have consequences. And I think about the choices that led up to selling the birthright for the bean stew. I mean, what if, what if Esau would have taken hunting that day a granola bar? I mean, why didn't he pack a lunch? Did he not realize he was going to be out all day? I mean, if we're not careful, we can, I, can, I can literally get sucked into the different things that Esau could have done to never been in that boat. But at the end of the day, it's like one of those things where it's like, it's, it's not just the big choice that affects us. It's the little ones along the way. It's the ones that we don't think really truly matter. I mean, not to, not to minimize it, but like it's Esau skipping breakfast. Like if you want to skip, you, you see what I'm saying? It's just the little thing. It's the things that at the time we don't think are important. But yet every choice we make in our life has a consequence. And here Esau sat famished. I'm going to die. And yet he made a choice that ultimately, well, you know, you know this is, what I see is this is what I see. I see that many times we chase what we want only to end up losing what we need. Many times, this is what happens. We chase what we want. I want, I want, I want. True story. I didn't share this last service, but true story. I, I'm now charging my son $1 every time he tells me he wants something. True story. Gave me seven bucks yesterday. Parents try out. It's great. Because that's all he says is I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And I told him the other day, I said, bro, I'm sick of this. You're never thankful for what you have. You just come to me with what you want. And he wants and he wants, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And as a dad, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to not, 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 not give him just what he wants. I'm trying to give him what he needs. And if we're not careful in our own lives, we will chase what we want so bad, we end up losing what we truly need. I found this. I found that the enemy knows that we have blessings that are coming. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, like Johannes said weeks ago, our pastor from Germany, when, when he spoke here, don't talk to the, don't talk to the serpent, right? So I'm not going to say it often, but I, the devil ain't stupid. He's smart. He knows the blessings and the promises that God has for each of us. He knows right now the blessings and the promise that God has for you. And see, he knows they're coming. And so what he's doing is he's trying to tempt us to give them up. Amen. And 
And I was very careful. I called Johannes this past week and I said, buddy, I want to I do something in this story. And Johannes is a, is a scholar. He's kind of a nerd. And, and so I said, I want to do this, but I don't want to take it out of context. I don't want to take the Bible into a place where it, it's not supposed to be. And I don't want to put my spin on it. I said, I just want to teach the truth. I said, but, but for me, what, what I'm seeing is I'm seeing that what Jacob did to Esau is, is, is very similar to what the enemy tries to do to us. And I said, Johannes, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, like, like what Jacob ultimately did to Esau is what the devil tries to do to us every day. He said, no, no, no. He said, that, 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 that's a lot of similarities there. And so what I want to do with you is I want you to understand something. A lot of times in this story, we can look at Esau and we can say, oh, Esau. It's a story about Esau being stupid. That's what it is. If we learn anything from this story, don't be Esau. Don't sell your birthright for some bean stew. Don't walk away from the promises of God for some bean stew. But in reality, it's not just about Esau. Because I think the lesson here is deeper than that. Because there's two brothers. There's Esau and there's Jacob. And, and Jacob, and I can't tell the end of the story because Pastor Tad's going to share it next week. And, and Jacob and what God does with him and how God does it. But, but in this part of the story, I think Jacob's got a lot to blame. Because Jacob, in my mind, he does what the enemy does to us. Let me explain this to you. Jacob tricked Esau. And I believe that the enemy is trying to trick us. I believe that the enemy is doing a very similar to what, what Jacob did to Esau. This is what the enemy does. The enemy's approach is he wants to come from behind and he always a sneak attack out of nowhere. That's how the enemy works. It's like you're just living your life, you're doing your thing, and then out of nowhere, here comes the enemy. And before you know it, you're like, well, where'd he come from? Where'd that come from? I thought everything was great. And all of a sudden, boom, here comes the enemy. You know what else? The enemy always tries to catch us at our most vulnerable state. Know what Jacob did to Esau? Esau, I'm dying, I'm gonna die, I'm famished, I'm weak. I'm vulnerable. And Jacob said, here's my chance. The enemy does the same thing to us. He tries to attack us when we're vulnerable. He doesn't attack. Run to the Father. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Oh, God. And you're like, the enemy's not anywhere near me. Give it 20 minutes. Oh, and then you got these people. He don't ever attack me. The enemy, the devil, he don't even know. He don't attack me. My question is why? He probably don't need to. You ain't doing nothing worth attacking. I mean, there's always one, right? Oh, he, he, don't, he don't affect me like that. Well, maybe your walk ain't bothersome to him. Maybe you make dumb choices on your own. You don't need no help. But he always tries to get you at that vulnerable state. You're weak, you're tired, you're hungry. But he's there out of nowhere. How about this one? He tries to convince us what he offers is the best offer. I mean, that's what Jacob did to Esau. I know, buddy. I know it's the, the birthright's the position of power, it's that double, double portion. All them blessings from grandpa. 
It's all the blessings. But I'll tell you what it's not, Esau. It ain't bean stew. You want some of this bean stew? Look, it's red like you are. And when you think about it, you're like, that's the dumbest thing ever. But the enemy does it to us all the time. We compare what God is going to, God's already promised us, but, but for some reason, in our weak, vulnerable state, we make stupid choices that ultimately have consequences that peel us and pluck us away from what God has intended for us. And so we look at Esau as the idiot in the story, but so many times the enemy does the same thing to us. And the last thing he does is the enemy tries to cancel out what God has in store. And God has given us, God has given us so many promises, so many blessings. But in reality, we're engaging in a moment of sin that is causing us to miss the future blessing God's had for us. And I encourage you, don't engage in a moment of sin and miss the blessing. What can we learn from from Esau? Three things really quick as we finish. Three things. The first one is this. Esau's problem was he was solely focused on the here and now. I mean, what does it say in verse 32? It literally says, look, I'm about to die. No, you are not. But if you're not careful, you can get inside your own head and you think things are a lot worse than they are. Well, you don't know. Okay. Okay. I get it. But are you chasing what you want to give up what you need? Esau said, I'm about to die. He skipped a meal and he said, I'm about to die. He was only focused on right now. What's happening right now? The second thing is this. He relied on his natural abilities. He was saying, you know what? I'm not worried about what happens in the future. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to rely on my natural abilities. And this is what happens when we do this. And, and I'm telling you, when we must not rely on our own gifts and abilities, but on God's abilities and power, because when we rely on our own gifts and abilities, we always come short. We always do. You can imagine that, that Esau, when he despised and walked away from those things, and you know, in the story, and I don't have time to get into it, but you know, in the next verses, in the next chapter, when, when they actually deceived Isaac into giving the blessing also, not just the birthright, but he also got the blessing from the father, from Isaac. They deceived him and he got the blessing. Then all of a sudden Esau is like, whoa, 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 wait, I want one. I want I want one. And that's what happens so often if you're not careful. You just rely on, well, I don't need it right now. I'll, I'll, I'll work this out. I'll just deal with it later. And you find yourselves in a position where you've lost everything for being stew. The third thing is this. His short-sightedness promoted him to give up the ultimate to get the immediate. And this is what happens. We'll find ourselves in a time of suffering. We'll find ourselves in a time of, of, of difficulty in a vulnerable state. And we lose sight on the future because we're so wrapped up in what's happening right now. And ultimately, Esau got exactly what he wanted. But we know he lost what he needed. And so, the brothers and the lesson is yes, don't be Esau. Don't be Esau. 
Sure. But what about Jacob? Yeah, Jacob was wrong. But when we compare the two at the end of the story of this part, what we see is we see Esau lacked faith. Don't be an Esau. Don't lack faith. If Esau would have had a little bit of faith, he never would have found himself in, those, in, that, in that situation. See, faith is the one important thing that we need to possess the promise. The promise is yours, but you might not be possessing the promise because you don't have the faith to get it. And God's not waiting to give you the promise. He's just waiting to see your obedience. The promise is the promise. The blessings are coming. And what we see is that's how we see it in Jacob's life. Because Jacob believed. But see, Jacob went about it the wrong way. Amen. He did. He went around it the wrong way. But you know what? God honored his faith. God will always honor your faith. He may have to discipline you. Some of you right now, you're walking in the discipline. And you're thinking, God didn't honor my faith. No, God honored your faith, but you have to honor the discipline. Some of you, you're walking in your discipline right now. But when you walk through that discipline, God will give you the blessing. And so, as I was talking to Johannes and I was explaining to him this, and the fact of, you know, at the end of the day, Jacob, Jacob is the one that we talk about the most. Jacob ends up wrestling with God. God asks him a question. God changes his name to Israel. The people of Israel come from Jacob. I mean, the story ends sweet. There's a lot of bumps along the way, but Jacob's faith remained firm. And you know, for us, that's the lesson. What I learned this week is right here. Johannes told me the other day on the phone, he said, I don't know if you say this in America. He said, but in Germany, we say this, God can write on your crooked line straight. He said, does that translate well? I said, it translates good enough. What does that mean? That means God can take your crooked line and he can write on it straight. I said, Johannes, do you know what, it, do you know what I think when, when you say that? I think this. I think Jacob was flawed, but he was faithful. And you know what? I'm looking at a bunch of people that are flawed, but my prayer is you'll be faithful. I know in my own personal life, I'm flawed. I've done things I'm not proud of. I've made stupid choices that have unbelievable consequences. But at the end of the day, I'm trusting that God can write on my crooked line straight. Amen. And I want my faith to be bigger than my flaws. And I don't know about you, but I'm just thankful God's not asking for perfect people. God's not asking us to be perfect. He's asking us to be faithful. Oh, but I got so many things in my past you just wouldn't understand. I don't need to understand. All I need you to say is I want to be faithful. Jacob was flawed, but he was faithful. That's why God gave him the blessings and the promises. God has blessings and promises for each one of us. He just wants our faithfulness. 
You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be faithful. And I don't know what that means to you. I don't know what that hits you. I don't know what that says to you. But I believe so many times we can focus on our flaws more than we focus on our faith. And my challenge to you is that you stop focusing on your flaws. You allow God to fix those. You just focus on your faith. Focus on your faith and allow God to write on your crooked line straight. Would you stand with me? Would you pray with me? Dear God, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much just for the opportunity that we have, God, to be a part of what you're doing. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, we thank you that you are faithful when we are not. But God, I pray for those that are in this room, those that are watching online, God, that they're focusing most, if not all, of their attention on the flaws. God, I pray that they would focus their attention on you. God, that they would remain faithful to you. God, I pray that we would would live the way that you've called us to live. Focused, faithful, and fired up for what you have for us. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your blessings. May we receive those in full obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.